Welcome to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. My name is Anand Upadhyay, and thanks for joining us. I'm pleased to present my conversation with Judge Charles Clavert, a retired federal district court and bankruptcy court judge. Appointed at just 30 years of age, Judge Clavert was Wisconsin's first African-American federal judge. He now serves as a neutral with JAMS, an alternative dispute resolution provider. Judge Clavert talks about whether the shelter-in-place restrictions and court shutdowns are creating a breakout moment for remote hearings through alternative dispute resolution. He also discusses the rapid technological change he witnessed in his four decades on the bench, the impacts of decades-long budget cuts across the court system, and the challenges he experienced as an African-American federal judge. If you enjoy the discussion, rate us on Apple Podcasts. We hope you like our conversation. Judge Clavert, it's an honor to have you on the Modern Lawyer Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us here today. I'm delighted to be with you. So, Your Honor, I'd like to start out because you've got such an impressive background to have you introduce yourselves to our listeners. Uh, you uh, obviously started out in the judiciary at a very young age, at the age of, of 30. Uh, before even that, you were an assistant U.S. attorney. Uh, you've got a very long and prominent uh, and impressive record. Um, in the judiciary, but even before you went into the judiciary. Can you walk us through your background, uh, where, you, where you came up, and, uh, and walk us through the phases of your professional life? I grew up uh, in Richmond, Virginia, and I was uh, one of eight children. I uh, attended Davis and Elkins College in Elkins, West Virginia, and from there I went to Georgetown University Law Center in Washington, D.C., and had a quite uh, varied experience uh, while in D.C. It it involved uh, working for the District of Columbia Department of Correction, dealing with uh, uh, all kinds of issues uh, that often resulted in me going to uh, matters on Capitol Hill and preparing uh, congressional testimony. Uh, After law school, I became an assistant DA in Milwaukee County and was one of uh, two individuals uh, who uh, ultimately became responsible for all the plea negotiations for the district attorney's office. And in fact, in that way, I became interested in ADR in part because of the work I did in the Milwaukee DA's office. From there, I became an assistant United States attorney and was a team leader in that office. I was uh, appointed uh, to serve as a special assistant United States attorney for the Northern District of Illinois to handle some litigation that uh, involved uh, the recusal of that office. And uh, in 1977, I was appointed to, to the bankruptcy bench. And at that time, I was the youngest uh, person uh, uh, who had ever been a bankruptcy judge in the United States. In uh, 1996, I was uh, appointed as an assistant. I'm sorry, I became a federal district judge and remained uh, on the federal court until March of 2017. Uh, During part of my tenure in the bankruptcy court, I served as chief judge. In fact, I was chief judge of the bankruptcy court for 10 years, and I was chief judge of the district court for three years prior to my decision to go senior and prior to my uh, retirement from the bench in 2017. It's been 
uh, a, qu- quite a long road. It, it sounds like it. And bring us up to, to today, Your Honor. You are retired from the, the federal bench, but you're still very active and, and very busy. Well, I left the federal bench and uh, decided to join JAMS. I will tell you that I've been very active in the American Bar Association. I sit in the House of Delegates where I represent the Milwaukee Bar Association. I'm very active in the community and I serve on a paralegal advisory committee of uh, one of the local technical schools in an effort to try to help uh, people become paralegals uh, in our community. So this is one of the reasons we wanted to have you on this podcast. There's so many, but you've been uh, a judge for a very long period of time. And now you are, and we're going to get into this more uh, in this episode, you are a neutral at JAMS. For those who don't know uh, what JAMS is, uh, it is Judicial and Arbitration Mediation Services, and it is one of the alternate dispute resolution providers. I think many will say the leading alternate dispute resolution provider. But just restricting it to your years as uh, a federal judge, both in bankruptcy court and in the uh, district court there in the Eastern District of Wisconsin, what changed over that period of time? When you started, uh, you know, several decades ago, uh, what has changed in in how law is practiced? Well, let me just uh, share a couple of very interesting points. When I began uh, my uh, service on the bench uh, in 1977, uh, my court reporter took down the proceedings using pen and ink, and I had to travel. Uh, outside of uh, Milwaukee, where I was based, to uh, Racine and, and Kenosha, Wisconsin, primarily Kenosha, Wisconsin. I would go to Manitowoc, Wisconsin, which is close to Green Bay. Uh, and it was necessary for me to do that because people had to appear in front of uh, each of the judges. As things proceeded over the years, we went from keeping most of our records uh, in card catalogs and in these huge ledger books to electronic record keeping. Uh, I had to sit in hearings uh, in bankruptcy and in fact the first meetings of creditors when I began over the years because of changes in the law. Bankruptcy judges were no longer sitting in the hearing. They could not in fact be involved in the meetings of creditors. In the district court, uh, things changed even more because we went from having a lot of local counsel in cases to having many more attorneys from around the country appear in front of us in large measure because of better transportation, but also uh, because people could appear electronically with the use of court call and other electronic means. Uh, I, of course, uh, had to uh, use computers even more during the course of the years. And when I left the bench, uh, I was able to uh, act almost as a director of a TV show because I had multiple cameras in my courtroom, uh, telestrators. The jury had uh, uh, TV monitors in their boxes. Uh, I could uh, look at documents uh, from a camera above the witness stand. I had multiple means of communicating with my staff through instant messages and other electronic means. and so. It, it was a, a sea change from the time I went on, on the bench in 1977 until the time I left the bench in uh, 2017. 
Are there any other uh, major themes across your your several decades in the federal judiciary? Did you notice any change in how attorneys um, practice law? Did you notice any change in how uh, attorneys handled cases or dealt with uh, the judiciary or the courts? Well, uh, several things changed dramatically. One is the way in which uh, cases uh, were assigned. In the old days, attorneys could stand at the counter and essentially uh, see who was getting uh, new cases. Uh, cases were assigned using a t- an actual physical tab. When I left the bench, things uh, cases were assigned randomly by computer. Also, I, I believe that uh, lawyers uh, became, uh, I think, more aware of the uh, value of handling things electronically. And I, I saw lawyers using uh, computers in the courtroom. We had the ability to allow attorneys to plug their com- their laptop computers into uh, plugs in the courtroom, and they could use their laptops uh, and, and utilize the services of paralegals in the courtroom so that they could handle their documents more efficiently and share documents with the opposing counsel, as opposed to having hard copies uh, in the courtroom for all of their work. So the use of computers was certainly a dramatic change that facilitated uh, the presentation of evidence uh, during trials and hearings. That was something quite different from the days that I uh, spent in the courtroom as a bankruptcy judge. How did that affect the quality of advocacy before you? You know, all of this technology you mentioned, you felt like you were a TV director. There, There's telestrators, there's laptops, there's real-time things going on by the second in court. Uh, how did that affect how cases were uh, were presented to you? Well, I think one of the things it did was it uh, introduced more documents to uh, present their cases more efficiently and I think and clearly uh, using uh, the electronic means. And it also allowed parties to utilize uh, the uh, electronic means to have witnesses testify remotely. And that was certainly uh, something that made a huge difference. And it even was a big difference that occurred in criminal cases where you could utilize uh, electronic means to have people uh, testify and uh, witnesses appear from far-flung places. Now, Your Honor, in um, so you, you were a uh, bankruptcy court judge for a number of years. Now, in 1995, you were... Um, you were appointed to, a, a, or I should say you were nominated to the federal judiciary in the Eastern District of Wisconsin. I should say the federal district court in the Eastern District of Wisconsin. Right. Um, how did, uh, you know, from, from the point that you started as a federal judge to the point where you moved from bankruptcy court to district court, how had the practice of law changed during that period of time? Well, again, I I think that the practice changed in large measure because lawyers were able to use electronic means of to to collect evidence, uh, to actually do their discovery, and of course to communicate with uh, parties 
uh, in the case, various cases and to communicate with the courts. With the courts. So the electronic age has dramatically impacted the way the law is practiced. And I, I think that uh, it has made it uh, much more uh, expensive in some instances uh, to uh, conduct discovery because there is so much more material out there uh, that uh, can uh, be combed and utilized in litigation. You know, we've had on uh, partners at large law firms on this podcast, and they've referred the, referred to this as the uh, you know the rise of the litigation industry. Right? There's just so much material to go through, so much work to be done, that it gives rise to this multi, multi, multi billion dollar industry uh, of pretrial disclosures, of document review of uh, all, all manners of uh, parsing these documents and applying technology to understand what these documents say. Did you experience that in your years in the federal bench? Did you get uh, kind of firsthand exposure to this massive boom in the application of technology to documents? Well, absolutely, of course, the litigation holes uh, became uh, the, uh, the norm. And in many instances, I, I found it necessary uh, to discuss with the parties how to deal with e-discovery. E-discovery would often wag the dog. And so, yes, uh, there, there was a sea change with regard to the way in which litigation uh, was conducted uh, over the years. I love that quote, e-discovery would often wag the dog. That's, that's fascinating, and it certainly... That certainly comports with a lot of what we've heard from folks with a broad perspective over the years. I want to raise one thing, and then I want to uh, move on to some of the work that you're currently doing over at JAMS. Uh, I, I would be remiss if I didn't read this uh, sentence from your JAMS uh, profile, and that is uh, the following. Quote, appointed at age 30, Judge Clavert became the youngest federal bankruptcy judge in the nation and Wisconsin's first African-American federal judge. Your Honor, you're, you're a trailblazer in, in this way. Uh, to what extent, uh, when you were appointed as a, uh, a federal judge at age 30 in the bankruptcy court and the first African-American federal judge in Wisconsin, to what extent did you feel pressure? And uh, to, what, what did you have to overcome uh, as uh, a major first in this, in this area? Well, the first things I had to overcome was uh, the fact that I was essentially, in the eyes of many of the local practitioners, the new kid on the block. Uh, I certainly had not been a bankruptcy practitioner up to that time, and there were some reservations regarding uh, me and my ability to handle uh, bankruptcy matters in what was then considered a fairly small group of uh, practitioners. Uh, as uh, the time went on, uh, it became uh, at least uh, clear to the attorneys in our area uh, that uh, I worked hard and that uh, I studied matters uh, very closely and was uh, able to uh, handle things uh, with great uh, uh, facility and, and, and able to uh, adapt and handle matters in a way that 
would address issues and address people uh, respectfully. And, and that that became a hallmark of my tenure as uh, a bankruptcy judge. Uh, over the years, uh, I, I know I did encounter uh, some people who had some uh, reservations uh, simply because of, of their concern about my race. But I think uh, as time moved on, uh, people became comfortable uh, with me and became aware that one of the things that they certainly could count on uh, was fairness and uh, an ability to be heard uh, and an ability to have their arguments uh, considered on the merits and not on the basis of who was arguing or on the basis of who may be one of the parties in the case. So, Your Honor, let's uh, fast forward to today. Why did you choose after your retirement to become a neutral at jams and not, you know, maybe simply simply retire or do any number of other things? You know, why did you decide to stay in the mix, you know, stay in the industry, and continue to hear cases uh, over at uh, at jams in alternate dispute resolution land? First of all. I love lawyers and, and the law. And at the end of my career, uh, I was uh, approached by JAMS and uh, I learned uh, more about the organization, realized that there were a number of my uh, former colleagues uh, with JAMS and that JAMS was one of the uh, leading uh, institutions uh, in ADR. One of the things that, that I did enjoy as a judge uh, was resolving disputes on the civil side. Uh, I, I found great pleasure uh, in resolving matters on the civil side, and it was certainly a great relief from handling matters uh, where I had to uh, uh, deal with criminal cases and oftentimes uh, had to impose sentences uh, that were sometimes uh, very uh, substantial. Uh, it was a, a great uh, change and a great pleasure to uh, help resolve people's disputes and to see people put the pain and agony of litigation behind them uh, through settlements and through uh, the ADR process. And so when I left the bench, it, it was uh, a great opportunity to continue dealing with lawyers and helping to resolve disputes uh, in a way that would uh, allow people to put their litigation woes uh, into their rearview mirrors. Did you at times as a federal judge feel hamstrung in resolving conflicts by the bureaucracy of the federal courts, by the formality of the court system? Yes. I, the, the, one of the things uh, that obviously cre uh, created uh, some difficulty is it was uh, sometimes difficult for me to help try to resolve the dispute uh, that was before me uh, because uh, I might be the one who would have to try that case. And so in some instances, I had to refer those cases uh, to a magistrate judge or to uh, a neutral outside of the court. Uh, and so that certainly did uh, hamstring me to, to that extent. But one of the things that was a benefit was that uh, there were these services available uh, to help me get uh, these cases resolved. And needless to say, because criminal cases have uh, take priority and, and have to be resolved quickly under the Speedy Trial uh, Act, uh, 
uh, I could not direct, uh, could not provide full attention uh, to my civil litigation, uh, and civil cases had to be put on the back burner uh, in order to get the criminal cases done. And so there was a delay uh, that would be caused by virtue of that, and uh, parties would certainly have to wait until uh, their uh, turn would come and when they would uh, have their cases come up on the docket. On, on, in ADR, now with JAMS, uh, there is a priority given uh, to parties. Parties don't have to uh, endure the weights that are often necessary uh, in the federal and civil courts in our country because of the fact that uh, they have such long dockets. Uh, with the private ADR through JAMS, people can get their cases heard and resolved quickly. I frequently read articles about how the judiciary generally, state or federal, is uh, is oftentimes uh, lacking the resources they need to uh, provide the services they want to provide. Did you observe that in your years on the federal bench? Uh, you know, a decreasing uh, level of resources that that you were provided either in bankruptcy court or in the Eastern District of uh, Wisconsin in the district court? Well, I think the most, one of the most dramatic changes in federal courts uh, in the years uh, that I was there was a change from the 12-person jury as a norm to the smaller juries, uh, six or eight people. And and the, the juries were uh, reduced in size in large measure because of the federal budget and the absence of resources uh, to uh, continue having 12-person juries. Uh, I do think that uh, there were several times during uh, my years on the bench when there were other budget constraints. Uh, the federal judiciary uh, had to postpone uh, trials over the years when uh, there were uh, problems with uh, Congress passing budgets uh, that uh, would uh, be needed in order to facilitate uh, all of the operations of the federal courts. So we've, over the years, we've had those challenges and uh, furloughs and the like, which have uh, hampered uh, parties and the courts in their efforts to get the cases resolved. And when there are furloughs and budget challenges, uh, the courts uh, cannot carry on, uh, especially on the civil side, as they normally would. Your Honor, we're recording this podcast in mid-June 2020, and I would be remiss if, if I didn't point out the fact that we're recording this sheltered in place in the middle of uh, one of the largest pandemics in history. Uh, you, is the current moment that we're in, where we're all working remote, uh, oftentimes not by our own choice, but we're all sheltering in place, is this the moment for alternate dispute resolution? It's it's frequently been a, uh, a you know a, a a service that is is in the ether, maybe kind of in the periphery. Is this ADR's breakout moment? It could be described as a breakout moment for ADR, and in large part because the federal and state courts 
cannot hear cases as they normally would. The shelter-in-place uh, orders and uh, the social distancing uh, that is necessary because of COVID-19 have made it uh, essential uh, that uh, courts cut back and, and, that, and it's been essential for courts to reduce uh, the potential spread of the virus. And so many uh, courts are operating uh, with fewer people in the building and they're operating uh, with uh, different timetables and schedules that preclude uh, the litigants from having uh, their actual day, physical day in court. Uh, ADR, uh, particularly uh, through virtual means, uh, relieves some of that pressure and it allows parties to get their cases resolved, notwithstanding some of the delays that have been uh, caused by virtue of uh, shutdowns in the federal and state courts and as a result of the delays uh, that have hampered uh, the judges in uh, the state and federal courts uh, from hearing uh, civil cases. Uh, I will just add that because of uh, the situation with the uh, COVID-19, there are more platforms uh, for handling things remotely. And JAMS is one of those providers uh, which has been a leader in that regard. It has had over a, a thousand uh, virtual proceedings uh, since uh, the COVID-19 uh, shutdowns began. And it's been able to resolve cases uh, during a period of time when many courts have not been operating. I'm gonna ask you to make a prediction here. When do you think the court system, at least restricting it to the federal system, when do you think it's gonna get back to normal? Uh, whatever that means in quotes, back to normal. Uh, I think back to normal uh, will not occur until there is a, a vaccine that has been administered and people have gotten to a point where it's pretty apparent that uh, the virus uh, can can be checked and that people will be reasonably safe. I, I, I don't see uh, the federal courts getting back to the old normal uh, in any less than 18, uh, 12 to 18 months. We discussed offline uh, about how over the last few years, uh, as you've worked with Jams, you've been really impressed with the tech that they've deployed to make remote hearings uh, more um, more real, more um, you know, more complete, more thorough, wh whatever term you want to use. Talk us through what you know, jams and and I, I not not just restricted to jams and any other large ADR providers as well. What kind of investments have they made in tech to make it so that the ADR experience? could be a uh, maybe a better way to resolve disputes in, in, uh, in certain categories of disputes? Well, I, I think one of the things that has happened is uh, the neutrals, as well as uh, the uh, case administrators and, and, and administrative staffs are being trained constantly on the various technologies and at JAMS, 
uh, we have some of the best trained uh, individuals as case managers who serve as uh, monitors uh, in virtual proceedings to assure that uh, people are brought into uh, the proceedings, uh, put into waiting rooms. They see, see to it that uh, the proceedings are secure uh, and that uh, there are passwords that uh, keep intruders from getting into the system. Uh, they're adaptable and nimble and able to utilize uh, various platforms. While JAMS uh, uses Zoom primarily, uh, it is also capable of using other platforms, uh, such as uh, Teams and WebEx uh, and the like. Uh, through they can we can handle matters in arbitration as well as mediation. And, and other services are, are doing uh, similar things, and they've invested in a way that helps to make sure that the security that people want and need is there. And I think that is really key. Uh, there is security and HIPAA, comp uh, and HIPAA compliant uh, means of going forward that should assure uh, the members of the bar and the business uh, community and others who use and need ADR services that their proceedings can be handled swiftly and with the necessary sensitivity and, sec and, and security uh, that is essential uh, in the ADR world. Have you seen an interest in ADR, in your shoes as a, as a neutral, increase uh, since the court systems have been closed? Absolutely. And I, I also know that uh, at the outset, uh, there were great reservations. And I think some of those reservations are being addressed by virtue of positive ex the positive experiences and training that members of the bar are getting. I'll give you an example of what I mean. I, I Yesterday, I had a proceeding. Uh, where the lawyers initially said they did not want to go forward, and, and one lawyer uh, expressed some very genuine concerns uh, because of COVID-19. Since uh, we had that initial conference, the lawyer and the members of that uh, firm have had training, and they realize through that training and through their exposure that, hey, the virtual means of handling proceedings are, are quite good. And the comfort level that uh, they gain by virtue of that experience has made uh, the possibility of going forward uh, with uh, their proceeding uh, greater. And I think that what is, has happened in the last few months is more and more uh, in-house counsel uh, and more and more Law firms and practitioners are getting uh, experience, uh, getting the uh, information and experience of dealing with ADR virtually, and they're realizing also that the courts are utilizing uh, virtual means of proceedings, of proceeding, and so they're seeing that this is not just uh, something that's being handled in this private sphere, but it's something that's being embraced by the uh, federal and state courts, because they have, there's a realization uh, that matters 
need to proceed and they can't and there's no certainty that <clears throat> courts will be open uh, fully or that uh, COVID-19 uh, will be uh, behind us on a date certain and so it is important uh, for lawyers to move forward and to give uh, virtual proceedings a try because it's going to benefit uh, all involved. From your perspective as a retired federal judge and also a JAMS neutral, do you think that one of the uh, important use cases of ADR could be pre-litigation dispute resolution? I mean, do you, at, you know, from your from your uh, position as a retired federal judge, do you wish that more of the parties that appeared in your courtroom uh, were sent to ADR beforehand, and do you think this pandemic will affect that going forward? Well, I, I do think that uh, neutral evaluation uh, before uh, cases are actually filed is something that uh, would be very helpful. I, I think that uh, in, certainly in my experience, uh, some parties could have clearly benefited from having a neutral uh, such as myself, look at their dispute and give them feedback regarding the matters at hand. Through that uh, neutral evaluation, uh, parties can certainly save time and anticipate issues and challenges uh, that they would face if, this, if the matter were to go into uh, litigation in a court. Is there a risk that ADR uh, is going to ADR and the court system are going to turn into a kind of a two-tiered dispute resolution system? The public system for uh, companies that can't afford ADR, or for individual litigants who certainly can't afford ADR, and then for the rich companies, you know, businesses that can afford it, high-stakes litigation. Uh, they are going to go through the, the the higher tier, which is ADR, that's going to have all of the fancy technology, the remote uh, abilities, uh, have neutrals such as yourself who are extremely experienced. Is there a risk that we're going to have a kind of a private-public divide where the private side of things gets a lot of resources and the public side of things gets few and decreasing resources? Well, I'm, theoretically, you're correct that there is that possibility, but uh, I also know there is increasing sensitivity uh, to the need for uh, individuals of uh, lesser means to have their uh, matters handled uh, swiftly. And I think that there are uh, state courts and certainly entities such as the American Bar Association that are keenly aware of that and are trying to address uh, any kind of disparities. But I do know that uh, from my experience, there are uh, courts uh, that can't handle uh, certain things swiftly and they are utilizing uh, neutrals. Uh, in fact, uh, I, I've served as a neutral for uh, state court recently. Uh, and as a special master, I was able to resolve a a long-standing lawsuit very swiftly because uh, the court uh, that was involved did not have the time to spend with the parties to get the case 
uh, resolved uh, quickly. Uh, the case needed uh, great lengths of time with the parties in order to address uh, the challenging issues. And uh, because of the schedules of clerks in the court and, and the hours the courts uh, were operating, they couldn't uh, stay in the courtroom after five o'clock. A neutral can have an extended proceeding uh, that uh, can take place after hours if necessary. And in other venues in order to get matters resolved. And that, in that way, there is a, a symbiotic relationship uh, that exists and one that can certainly help to expedite matters that otherwise might drag out uh, because of limitations uh, that the courts may have or the time uh, tables that have to be observed for court proceedings. You've talked in the past uh, about a hybrid model where litigants and parties can use both the court system and also ADR. How have you seen that successfully play out and what do you mean by a hybrid model? Well, a hybrid model is one that tracks what I just described. If a court has discovery disputes or, or motions or issues that it cannot handle because of its regular calendar or its need to, to address criminal proceedings, a special master, a neutral such as uh, myself, can address those things outside of the courtroom. In fact, in, in, my, in, in my case, I actually started addressing the matter in, the court, in this judge's courtroom and continued the, the proceeding outside of the courtroom. After getting to a certain point, the judge had to approve certain things that were addressed uh, by me as a special master. In a hybrid situation like that, a neutral can help the parties resolve part of their dispute outside of the courtroom or out of the presence of the assigned judge, and the parties can then go to the judge after the fact and deal with other aspects of the case that the neutral uh, is unable to handle. And so that is one way that uh, a neutral, such as a special master, can help to uh, advance cases on a court's calendar. And in that way, move things along uh, for the benefit of the litigants and for the benefit of the court in that particular case. And of course, by clearing these cases out, it frees up the judge's time to handle other matters that cannot be uh, dealt with by an independent neutral. Towards the, the very end of these podcast interviews, I typically ask my guests to make predictions. And I wanna ask you to, to make a prediction, Your Honor affirm your position as a, uh, a retired federal judge and, and a JAMS neutral, uh, what is the court system and what is ADR going to look like in 20 years? From, from your you know, decades and decades of experience here and from your knowledge of the trajectory it's already going, where is it going? Well, one thing that I do see is a greater reliance on neutrals and ADR. 
in part because there are more and more cases that are going into our court systems. Unless our state and federal uh, government increase the number of judgeships, uh, there will be uh, a need for individuals outside the court system to help people resolve their disputes quickly. And so, in my view, we will have more ADR in years to come and even greater pressure on our courts and our lawmakers to fund courts because, in my view, courts are underfunded to date and they need more funding. And unless uh, the public uh, understands uh, that need and addresses that need by providing more tax uh, revenue uh, for the courts, uh, we will be in trouble. I think that urgent message uh, that I think the vast majority of our, our listeners would agree with is a great place to, to wrap this uh, episode of the podcast up. Judge Clover, it's been an absolute honor to have you on. It's been a pleasure to hear you talk about your, your new role, relatively new role as a neutral at JAMS, uh, your your very storied history as a federal judge and a trailblazer on the federal bench. So thank you so much on behalf of Case Text and the Modern Lawyer Podcast. It's been a it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Well, the pleasure is certainly mine as well. Do take care. Thanks for listening to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. We always love hearing from you, and we highly value your feedback. Reach out to me at onin at casetext.com, tweet at us with the hashtag modernlawyer, and check us out at modernlawyerpodcast.com. We hope you join us for our next episode. Special thanks to the Case Text team, especially our producer extraordinaire, Abby Hadidian. See you soon.